this is the legal disclaimer, where I tell you that the views, thoughts, and opinions shared in this podcast belong solely to our guests and hosts, and not necessarily Brady or Brady's affiliates. Please note, this podcast contains discussions of violence that some people may find disturbing. It's okay, we find it disturbing too. Welcome back, everybody, to Red, Blue, and Brady. I am your host, JJ. And I'm your co-host, Kelly. And today we're recording on what would have been uh, Representative John Lewis's 81st birthday. Happy birthday! And in his honor, we're talking with two people who are known, I think, for getting into some good trouble. John Lewis deserves all the celebration and honor. On top of being a champion for civil rights and voting access, he was also an advocate for gun violence prevention. And was also just a cool human. Like, why is this not a movie? Because this man was present for almost every major event from, like, the 60s. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Watching him at Comic-Con is one of those videos that I turn back to to, like, make me feel happy on a bad day. So I'll include a link to that in the description of this episode. Something nice and uplifting. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Kelly, but it's amazing. When he's walking around in his uh, famous coat and backpack with with the kiddos. And there's just a sea of small children following him. It's amazing. And to sort of talk about just advocates that are amazing in gun violence prevention, we are being joined by two women who I think personally are super motivating and inspiring. Maddie Scott and Suzanne Kelly. And Maddie Scott is a 23-year veteran in gun violence prevention, which is amazing when you really think about that. And she works in San Francisco as a survivor, activist, and mother. She has dedicated her life to gun violence prevention intervention, and education. And Suzanne Kelly has spent the last nine years working on raising awareness about violent firearm crimes in her hometown of Washington, PA, also my hometown outside Pittsburgh, and is dedicated to ensuring that the voices of crime victims and their families are heard. Right. And both Maddie and Suzanne have lost loved ones, plural, to gun violence and have turned their grief into action fighting for an end to gun violence and for justice for those left behind. Together, we're talking about the important role of survivors in gun violence prevention and how those of us fortunate enough not to be touched directly by gun violence can better support the survivors in our lives. Suzanne, Maddie, it is so nice to be able to see you, even if it's just digitally uh, for right now. Can you go ahead, just for the edification of our listeners, can you maybe introduce yourselves and sort of why you do this work? Well, my name is Suzanne Kelly and I'm out of Washington, PA. I have, I'm building my organization. It's called Maestro's Movement. It's, it's for my brother-in-law, Vinny Maestro Kelly, who was killed. It'll be eight years in June at Giant Eagles on Father's Day. We have our own organization. It's all mainly my family, which is his brothers, my sister-in-laws. Uh, most of the Kelly family are involved. We do a lot of things in the community as far as race awareness for gun violence, um, domestic violence. I'm also a CASA advocate for abuse and neglected kids. We do mainly a lot of things for kids because Vinny was a kid person. Like he, he, he was, you know, 46 years old when he passed away, but he acted like he was like a kid at all times. <laughs> so very good person. So that's what I, I do. And I'm also involved in NAACP. And I'm the vice president of the Crime Victims Memorial Garden in Washington County. Thank you. Awesome, Suzanne. I can't wait to come to D.C. to see you and Miss Kelly and Miss J.J. Yes. After quarantine, we're going to have a yes. get everybody together. Yes, yes. I can't. I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm Maddie Scott and I'm the mother of George C. Scott. This is a picture of my son. Um, oh, very handsome. Just a charming young man. I lost him July 17, 1996 to gun violence. And I have at the bottom of this picture, every breath is a gift. 
And when I lost him on the 17th, the, the very next day was my grandson, his son's, his five-year-old son, Gable's uh, sixth birthday. So on his sixth birthday, he was away at camp and I had to tell my grandson on the phone as he was wondering why his dad hadn't called him. And he called and his mom couldn't speak with him. No one could talk with him. I had to be the one to tell him that his dad had died and gone to heaven. I couldn't even tell him his dad had been shot and killed. And uh, so the scream, the scream that I heard on that phone from my grandson is the reason that reason, one of the main reasons I do this work, because that scream tore me up, tore my family up. And mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't want another grandmother or mother or anyone to ever have to hear a scream from a child like that after telling them your father's gone and did not even tell them why. But that scream wakes me up every day to do this work and gun violence prevention. Because at the time, my neighborhood was impacted heavily with, with gun violence. And uh, and so I'm the founder of Healing for Our Families in Our Nation. We do violence prevention, intervention, and education awareness here in San Francisco and around the nation. I am the California Brady's president, state president. So I do a lot of work with uh, legislation, with everything with Brady, to get people engaged and know about Brady, to know that it's not just a white organization as many people thought to educate them about Jim and Sarah Brady and all the great work that they did and the laws they were able to get on the books and the laws that we continue to get on the book because of Brady and Sarah and Jim's passionate spirit educating folks on that. And then I'm the chapter leader for the San Francisco chapter leader for Mothers in Charge. And I just spoke about Mothers in Charge, which is a national organization run by Dorothy Johnson Spite, which consists of mothers, girlfriends, grandmothers, women, period all across the uh, country that has been impacted by any type of violence, but mainly gun violence is the number one thing. And so we deal with all violence, but gun violence seems to be at the top of the list and domestic violence, those two. And the third mm-hmm. is suicide. So I'm just grateful to be able to be, from my own experience, to share my experience, strength, and hope with other people, to hopefully have a con- conversations and, and solutions that will tear these, these walls down and the barriers down the, that causes so much harm in, in our communities and across our nation. So I'm glad to be on the call with, with all of you. And so thank you and thank you all for what you're doing. And if there's anything that we can do to help you, don't please reach out. Thank you. And I wanted to say thank you to, to both of you for being in this space and continuing to work because I think I can, I can speak for Kelly and myself in that, you know, we're not, gun violence has touched us, but it hasn't, you know, I haven't lost a family member to it. You know, and so the fact that y'all get up every day and continue to do this work that is so personal and is so hard is is really impressive. And so I really want to thank you for taking the time and the space to share and to be present. Thank you. Likewise, Maddie, I want to pick up on something you said about pushing forward and pushing for change, because today, the day that we're recording this podcast is John Lewis's birthday. And he definitely is someone who made his whole life about creating a better world for people. And I know that he was a good friend of yours, Maddie, and was also devoted to gun violence prevention. So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about him today and his legacy um, as we're recording on his birthday. Yeah, John Lewis, you know, an incredible uh, human being who I looked up to. I remember when growing up in New Orleans, he came to New Orleans at a civil rights rally. My parents were involved in that because of the mistreatment of black children being able to, you know, not being able to sit to the front of the bus or to drink out of certain water fountains. Uh, It was just I grew up in uh, Jim Crow in New Orleans and it was very bad. And it was my first time meeting him as a young person. 
But his legacy, he's, he came all the way to Philadelphia during the Democratic Convention, and he was always, always available for good trouble, always available for good trouble. And so he also was there with uh, Gabby Gifford and came with Mothers in Charge and did a press conference with all of us there during the, the Democratic Convention then. It was prior to this, um, the last administration. And uh, it was done, to, it was when the, the Democratic Convention was done in, in, in Pennsylvania, in, in Philly at that time. And I'll never forget his his heart and his kindness toward all the youth that was present there, all the mothers that was present there. We were all there, Brady, um, Moms Demand Action, Every Town, Mothers in Charge. Mothers in Charge did the whole press conference. And who was there at the forefront with us? Congressman John Lewis. He always mm-hmm. made himself available for good trouble. He said, this is good trouble. This is, we should not have to be in this situation. And he apologized for our country still being in this, this era of discrimination and mm-hmm. violence when he, at the, as a young man, had to see so many elders get crushed and crossing that Pettus Bridge. And then here we are in 2014, and we're still here. It, you know, we're still in this place. So I applaud John Lewis for his leadership, his heartfelt commitment to justice for everybody, everybody in our nation, particularly women and children. You know, he talked about the domestic violence situations, how that all came because of lack of jobs and things of that nature and families, you know, equity. Sometimes those things arrive because of not being able to have a decent salary or income. You didn't feel like a, a person. And he understood that. He understood that and talked with those men and talked with those families and brought them together. That's what I love about John Lewis, how he got down deep. He went deep into the root of the problem. To, to help solve them. And he knew that's where we were. And so uh, happy birthday to Congressman Lewis. I, I just love him. I can go on and on about him, his legacy, all what he's done for our nation. You know, I'm glad he didn't get to see the insurrection that would have broke his heart. But it's good to be in good trouble, good trouble, as he said, you know. So happy birthday to Congressman John Lewis. And I just hope that we can continue his legacy and all the work that he did. I think I think sort of in the in the spirit of the great Mr. Lewis, one of the things that I think goes directly to what we're talking about today about why survivors of situations, why people who are actually in impacted communities need to need to speak, I think is something that he always brought to the forefront. He was always was really involved with sharing his personal narrative. And so with that, I'm going to do something that I hate doing on this podcast, but I do it a lot, which is I am going to ask you all to talk a little bit more about the folks that you have lost. And so if if we could start maybe with Suzanne, if you're comfortable, I would love to hear a little bit more about Vinny, who I believe went by everything that I've read about him, went by Maestro, and about how he was taken. And also to just yeah. be, be, because it, that is still a crime that is unsolved, I would love to, if you could share with our listeners a little bit about that on on the off chance that maybe someone hears something, knows knows something. Well, Vinny was amazing. Like he was always a uh, kidster, jokester. Like I've never, I've been in the the Kelly family for 29 years and I've never, ever seen him angry. And if he was angry, I I never personally seen it. You know what I'm saying? But his love for kids was 
was amazing and he was a good person. But he got his, that particular day, Father's Day, he went to Giant Eagles to get dinner to make for his daughter. He has one daughter, her name is Sierra, and one grandson. His grandson was two weeks old whenever he was killed. And he went to get the stuff to make her dinner for Father's Day and ended up bank robbery had happened and he pursued him. There was other people that pursued the bank robber, but then he kept going and he was shot six times, thrown out of the car and left for dead on the side of Giant Eagles. Uh, take, take your time. The side of the parking lot. So um, there's still a $50,000 reward for the capture, whoever did it for the bank robbery. Citizens Bank and Giant Eagle both put up 25000 to find the killer, and it's going on eight years as of June 16th of this year. Yeah. And it's weird because Giant or Citizens Bank inside the Giant Eagles branch is the only bank that's open that you can physically go in and bank. So somebody had to know that because the bank closes at three o'clock and it happened at two thirty-five that Father's Day. Mm-hmm. And it was it was strange because Vinny never went to Giant Eagles to shop. He was always shop and save, Walmart. So it was just I don't know, it was just a, it was strange to me i don't i don't know that's why i think it was just his time that god wanted him because he never went there (laughs) you know what i mean i don't know maybe that's just i don't i don't know but it was it's it's still a really touchy subject right now because there's no justice they can't tell which way he went because the the giant nickels is by a big highway and there's different ways that you can go jj you know what i'm talking about there's different ways that you can go in washington to get on the highway or go down 19 and they can't figure out which way they went or which way whoever did it went because of the cameras. They can't, they can't, you know, find him. We had a couple leads, but they came out to be nothing. I'm sending you a big hug right now, Suzanne. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Hug. A big Thank hug. You, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I see the difficulty in your sharing that, and I'm feeling it. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it, but I'm sending you warm hug, a warm hug right now. Thank you. And I'm sending one back to you too, my friend. Thank you very much. One thing about it is since this has happened, I've been doing this for eight years and I've met so many families. Like you meet through tragedy, then you become a family to all these people who, who've lost their loved ones to, to gun violence, domestic violence. Like, I mean, it's, it's, you have extended family and you all know the pain. So you all can relate to what's going on. You know what I mean? And, uh, I've met, I've met a lot of, I've sat in a lot of court cases justice and some not justice you like how did you just get away with this you know what i mean and just just to watch the family's reaction you know they're angry they're mad and another thing is washington is so small that you basically know everybody and since i've been doing this for the last eight years i've met so many people and i know so many people and the visuals that i do it seems like i look at the same people all the time everybody knows somebody so when you go to this visual and you're doing this visual for these this family you see the same people and you're just asking, like, when is it going to, when are you going to change your mindset? When are you going to change, like, what's going on in our community so we can stop doing this? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's really, really sad. Like, the, the people, the, the young black men who have been killed in Washington, I've known their families for years and it's the same, it's the same people I have to look at. And I do not, that bothers me, like, so much. It, it's crazy. Because they're all young black men under the age of 50 that are being killed, laying in the middle of the street. And it's crazy. It, it really is. It's, it's crazy. And we won't even go on domestic violence. Domestic violence is, is a terrible, terrible thing, too. I was wondering, too, Maddie, if you could talk a little bit about 
your son. You mentioned him earlier when you were doing your introduction, but just wanted to give you an opportunity to share what he was like, you know, as a person. And you know. Yeah, uh, my son, George, was a father of two young boys that he loved dearly. Uh, he was uh, the baby in the family, bubbly, comedian, a writer. Yeah, my family's very close. We're very close-knitted family. We're large. It's a lot of us. George was very loving, bubbly. Uh, as I say, he loved his community, loved where he lived at. Family was very important. His spirituality also grew up in a very uh, spiritual home environment. He studied at the Nation of Islam because he loved what they were doing. He loved how the Muslim, the Muslim brothers in the community were together, they weren't killing each other, how they ate healthy and did all those healthy things. So that, that, that attracted him. I mean, even though he was raised Christian, but he wanted to do that and he did. You know, he just loved people in general, period. He had his troubles in the past growing up, you know, with the law. He did a little time in juvenile and he did some time in county jail and things like that for some things, minor offenses and things like that. Nothing major. He, what happened to my son was he attended one of the first graduation parties here in San Francisco in our neighborhood, a first-time college graduate um, at this party, was, was a friend of his. And when he, two of his other friends that he knew showed up at the party. Well, one of the friends had a gold chain on that belonged to another friend, that belonged to the guy who came in the party last. Well, my son knew that that guy was into that lifestyle. He knew he had a gun, and so he did, he 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 approached the other fella and said, "I want I'm, that's my jewelry you're wearing. You, you you left my house last night and you took it, and I want it." And so my son took them outside of that party because he knew his friend had a gun, and they were both his friends. And he took them both out. He knew them both. They both been at my house. I know their parents, and they ate at my house and slept at my house. They all grew up together. So wasn't as I tell people all the time, wasn't a police anybody outside my community that shot my son. It was someone that he grew up with and went to school with and they knew him. And I tell it like that because that's what mostly happens in our community. So he took them outside to try to resolve it. He tried to have the one give back the other one his jewelry. Peacefully he would not. An altercation took place. Words got exchanged, it got heated. He pulled the other guy pulled his gun, which was a semi automatic weapon. Begin to shoot, and because my son was in the middle, he caught all five of those bullets yes. and died immediately on the scene. He had he had he had a bullet in his neck. He had a bullet in his jaw. He had a bullet in his in his in, under his uh, lung, and another one in the sand, and and the other one went into the hand. So when I had to go ID my son, but before I went to ID my son, news traveled all around that my son was all shot up. Uh, he was shot in the face and, oh, his face was disfigured and all of that. I mean, it was horrible what people were saying. And it wasn't like that at all. My son had a hole in his face, like on the side of his face, right about the size of a 50 cent piece. And that was the only thing that damaged his face that I could see. But at any rate, he died right there on the scene. Everybody at the graduation party knew who the two gentlemen was. Everybody in the neighborhood knew who they were. And some people in the community who was looking out their windows because it happened by the tree where there's a lot of windows. And so people were, it was a hot July night. Everybody could see, you know, people looked out their window and then folks say, 
Well, I couldn't really tell who did it, but I saw the guy who shot it, but I didn't get a good look at him. But no one would come forward to say who did this till this day. And here I was in my community, a daycare provider, took care of all these people's children, mind you. All their children were at my house or at my sister's house because we both had daycares. And nobody came forward to say anything at all. One girl was about to come and she got threatened so she didn't come. And at that time, I was out of my mind. I was not in my right frame of mind at that time. I had lost it. I couldn't function. I couldn't even take care of my daycare kids, none of that. I, my mom had to step in and take care over the business. And not one person came to say anything or give testimony. All the people who was at that party saw them all leave out the party. None of them came forward to say anything, not even the girl who graduation party it was. And at that time, I understand people were fearful of retaliation, of getting shot for coming forward to tell because they knew the police was not going to protect them. So... But I was still angry and pissed off because I felt like my community betrayed me. My neighbors betrayed me. I felt like my whole community just betrayed me. And here I am, a daycare provider caring for your children. And this is how you give, you, you tell me you love me. And this is how you love me. You know, you, you don't tell who killed my son. If it had been me and it had been your son, I would have told. I would have mm-hmm. told. I don't care. Yep. Still to this day, my son's case remains unsolved. And no one has come forward to say anything. Wow. I, not When your son gets killed, the whole community the whole is yep. packed. The whole community is, is you're killing them. You're killing our communities over and over again every day. I, I feel yep. so bad for the mothers in Chicago and in Philadelphia where the murder goes on every single day. Yep. Every single day. That's why, you know, we do this work because it's so important. I, I, I mentor young people. We mentor young people. We mentor at-risk youth. We we talk to those. We have barbershop talk forums, you know. We do all this work because I don't want you to go through what I went through. These are our babies that grew up with each other, that know each other, that went to school with each other. Now you're growing up. Why? To kill each other over turf, over drug wars, over property you do not own, over territory that's not yours. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. And I, I, and I look at it as racial inequity and injustice in our communities filled with poverty. There should be programs and services. You know, George Floyd had to die on public and public in front of everybody for everybody to now wake up. Yeah. I told you the, the, the pandemic of gun violence is still going on. Mm -hmm. The pandemic of gun violence was about that pandemic. Everybody talking about COVID. What about the pandemic of gun violence? It mm-hmm. goes on every single day in our country and nobody pays any attention. We yep. mothers are screaming at the top of our voices. I've been doing this work for over 24 years. My son's been going 24 years and wow. still, still unsolved. Not only my case, thousands of cases are unsolved. Thousands. Mm-hmm. And these yep. are the, the statistics that we have here about the shootings that Brady put out. It still doesn't have the stats on what goes on in communities of color every day. How many young people of color are killed every day? How many black boys are killed every day? How many black boys are shot every day? Yep. It's, it's innumerable. You can't even keep up it's so, so much, you yep. know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just grateful to be here to do this work. I'm thankful for Robert and our president of Brady, all that she does, you know, and all of you and everybody that's involved in this work because it's going to take, this is about all of us or none of us. 
It's about all of us or none of us, and we all got to get it. We just can't mm-hmm. pick it when it's, you know, I was angry when, when the, the school shootings happened. I was angry at that. I was, I thought it was going to change when the 20 little children got killed in Newtown. And nothing, they did nothing. I was like, what, where, where are we with this nation? Where yeah. are we? Where's yeah. our heart? Where's our heart? Where's our values and our morals? You know, mm-hmm. where, where is it? Where is it? What, 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 what is life going to really matter? You know, black lives matter. But what is, when, when is life going to matter to all right. of us? When right. of the babies get killed in a school and eight teachers, three black boys, yep. Latino boys, Asian boys are murdered down in the streets every day because of poverty, of lack of, lack of opportunities, lack of, of, of educational, you know, yep. when, when are we going to change it? That's the answer. That's the question I asked yep. myself, and, and I won't stop. I won't stop until we get it. We, we get the job done. I will not stop. I mm-hmm. promise my, my grandchildren. I promise my son, his blood, and every, all of our children's blood. And I promise I will not stop. I will make sure everybody know about Brady. Everybody knows about your organization. Everybody knows about Mothers in Charge and healing for our families and our nation because this nation needs healing. It is. Oh, yeah. It is bankrupt when it comes to justice. It is bankrupt when it comes to treatment of people of color. It is bankrupt and humanity, you know. So I think I said a, a, a lot. So, you know, and I'm also here because my nephew also was murdered. My nephew was murdered in 2007 because he was in a call with a person who was going to kill somebody that he didn't even know at a party. And he jumped in the car with him and didn't know that the guy was going to do what he did. Then when he got in the car with the guy, uh, he stayed in the car and the guy running in the car to get back in the car with him to take him home. He tells the guy, what, what did you just do? I don't want anything to do with this. I just got myself clean and got my situation. He shoots my nephew and throws him out on the, on the street. So my nephew and the mother of the young man he shot all wind up in ER at the same time, you know, because he got in the car with the wrong person that he knew what the person was going to do. And then I lost my niece to cyberbullying. She was bullied on the internet by her ex-boyfriend, you know, so like I said, I, I'm in this because it, the pain is, is outrageous. We got to get to our children. We got to get to our youth. We got to get to our leaders in this nation about this epidemic and this pandemic of gun violence and of all violence in our nation. We become a violent nation and we're not looking at it. We need to take a good look at ourselves. In some ways doing this podcast, it makes me feel really hopeful right? Because I do see things happening in a positive way. And I see fantastic folks like yourselves working in this area and all the great people that I get to meet through Brady. But I worry so much about young people, because for me, it seems like a completely different world that they're growing up in. And I can say this because, you know, growing up in in the same town that, that Suzanne's working in, I don't remember hearing about people getting shot regularly when I was in middle school. By the time I was in high school, I remember hearing about it, but it was still something that felt fairly rare. And I'm an elder millennial. I'm in my thirties now. I can say that. Yeah. But now that I live away, I don't think a month goes by that I don't get a text message from somebody from back home saying, didn't we go to school? Like, isn't, didn't we go to school with his older brother or didn't we go to school with her younger cousin? Like it's, it, again, it's a smaller area, but it's just, it's, but so I worry about them because it's a completely different experience of childhood. Yeah. Because again, these are folks that I know, but it's, there's a distance there, but you're right. It's the same names again and again and again. It's the same neighborhoods. 
And it seems like Maddie too, that's like what you're articulating is that like, you know, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The, I think that the young people are missing the message. Like, I don't know. They think it's a big party after like, that's how they show their respect to have a big party and pop bottles and smoke, smoke right. weed. And that's not it. You're missing the whole point of what is going on. We're burying loved ones over senseless acts of violence, gun violence. You know what I mean? You just need to figure out what, what, what is going to stop and what you have to do to make it stop. I just don't, they don't get it. They, they don't, and it's sad because it's going to happen again. I told him that. I said, if things don't stop, if you don't change your mindset, if you don't do stuff in the community to change what's going on, we will keep doing this every year, every month, however many times it happens. We're going to keep doing this and you're going to keep burying your loved one. And so there's not, there's not going to be nobody to bury because everybody's going to be getting killed ever since his acts of violence. The drug use here is, is Outrage. the drug overdose. The drug overdose in Washington is I've never seen it like this before. It, it It's crazy. In this last eight years, I've never seen drug use, drug overdoses, murders, domestic violence, child abuse, as bad as it has been in the last eight years I've been doing this. You know? I think like something you were getting at, Suzanne, about, you know, maybe younger people at memorials, you know, smoking weed or drinking. It's interesting because a couple, I don't even, I think it was last, it was pre-pandemic. I was at a conference about trauma in our community. And one of the things that came up from some of the psychologists is that some of that behavior is just having these unimaginable losses in a teenage brain and then not, not having access to counseling, not having access to anything. And so self-medicating. So it's interesting to see how that can play out. And then of course that sort of can lead to more behavior and just get that another way that there's, it's really unfair to kind of ask for society to put children in the equivalent of a war zone and have them seeing things and facing things that soldiers are facing and then give them no right. resources and right. you know, ask them to then <laughs> pay attention in school kids. It's, it's, it's so unfair. And that's one of the things that I find really frustrating looking at this area. And I kind of wanted to pivot a little bit to both of you. This is kind of for both of you to chime in about why it is so important for survivors like yourselves to be present and leading in this work um, and in organizations and sort of crafting legislation and policies. Because to JJ's point, you know, I grew up in a city that was sort of beset with gun violence, but thankfully it was more on the exterior of my life. I mean, I think you just bring a totally different perspective that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. I I just think I, I did it for the healing process that because I didn't know what to do. Like I see my, my husband, like, like just lay out on the, on the floor of my bedroom in in our bedroom and just cry like a baby. And it's like, you know, what, what are we supposed to do now? You know what I mean? Cause he was the oldest, he was the oldest brother. Like what, what are we supposed to do from here? And it's just like, you can't sit around and not do anything anymore, you know, but I just could not just sit around anymore. And then it, it just seemed like really weird because after my brother in law was killed, my uncle was killed by gun violence. He was playing pool with, with a guy one weekend. They were cool because I was actually there this, this particular day, this particular night. They were cool playing pool. The next weekend, the same guy he was playing pool with shot and killed him. So, you know, and then, like I said, I've met other, other family members who three gun violence do the same thing. So it's like, it's a healing process for me. I, I needed to do something to raise awareness and, and try to be there for other families who are in the same situation that my family was in. You know, I took my pain every day. I asked God to give me, what am I to do today? What Show me what to do, because I don't know what to do. I'm in so much pain myself. 
And then watching my children become in pain, watching my daughter try to drink herself to death after this and watching mm. watching my grandson, you know, here he is in the classroom at six years old, out of control now because of what happened to his dad. And he finally finds out from his mom that his dad was shot. And so now he's making paper guns in the classroom talking about he's going to go after the guy who killed his dad. So wow. now his whole concentration in the classroom is, is making these paper guns and shooting the guy and drawing pictures, you know, that he's going to kill a guy who killed his dad. So I had to get my grandson in therapy. I had to work with him. I had to tell him that the killing is not right. It's wrong. And you, you, you are a good person. You're going to do great things in life, but killing is not one of them. Right. So we had to do that. Talking with children are highly impacted by this. So we have to talk to them when we see them withdrawing, if we see them acting out in class. You know, I have healing. We do healing circles for the kids. We do healing circles for the adults and healing circles for the, the uh, young adults because you have to have a place to go to heal. So right. you, have to, you have to have a space to talk about it, to get your feelings out so that you don't be like I like what happened to me. I I became an alcoholic. I started using pills and medication. I, I was not present. I was just toe up from the floor up when this happened to me. So I know what this does to mothers and fathers when this happens because there's no outlet. And then the majority of us uh, at that time, we were, we were not into mental health. We were not into therapists. I got a therapist, thank God. And back then we weren't. So leading people to the path of therapy, therapeutic services, healing services, so they could breathe, uh, get them out of the environment, take the young people away to have conversations with them so that they, because they can't have it in their own community. It's too already too stressful and too traumatizing. They've already gone to 10 funerals, okay? Multiple mm-hmm. of their friends have died. So right. how can they function in the classroom? How can they function in school? How can they function on the job? You know, mm-hmm. and, then, and then you don't understand whether, what they're, how they're hurting. Your boss don't understand how they're hurting and what they're going through. So he cussed you out. He didn't mean to cuss you out, but you don't know what this young man's gone through. He just witnessed his friend getting murdered. You know, so we've had to go to bat for our young people in school, um, on their jobs, for their families, because they are so traumatized that it yep. comes out. And then everybody's looking at them like they're the criminal or they're the beast, you know. And so you look at all these things that happen. So we, they're our future. We have to find ways to reach them. And Suzanne, too, I think one of the things that's so great about some of the work that you do is that it's also in creating these actual physical spaces. So I wonder if you could tell us about the Crime Victims Garden. It's it's called the Crime Victims Memorial Garden. And what it is, is your loved one gets put on this rock and it gets placed in the garden. And since I've been doing this, we've placed a lot of rocks there. Anywhere from whatever violent crime happened to your loved one goes in the garden. And every year there's a new, there's a new rock or rocks that's so um yeah it's it's a beautiful place yeah one of the things that this conversation is revealing is just why it is so important for survivors because of the fact that you two just looking at what's going on in the zoom i can tell like there's just an empathy and an understanding there so i was just wondering kind of as we close out you know what is one thing that you would want everyone listening to this to know about surviving gun violence Surviving gun violence is an everyday challenge. However, I, my spirituality helps me. I've learned how to breathe again. I've learned in my, a lot of the stuff we had to learn on our own because there was no map or manual or, or script to go by back then. Right. 
Right. Nothing. We had to create all this stuff on our own, particularly in communities of color, um, because, you know, most people then, as I said, did not utilize therapeutic services that, but they do now. But learning to take care of yourself is really crucial because, um, I know, as I said, for me, I became an alcoholic and a, a, a drug user because I wanted to just blank out and, and I, drugs was never my parte, you know, I mean, except for smoking weed back in the seventies as a, Growing up in a, you know, here in San Francisco with the hippies and all that in the seventies, but it was peaceful. Nobody killed you, no one, you know, but yeah, I became a severe alcoholic and, uh, uh, went to the doctors and lied to get pills just to medicate myself because I wanted to be numb. I didn't want to feel. Mm. And now I had to get in this work. I had to get in this work. I had to do something and get active and get mm-hmm. up off the couch. So being active has helped me tremendously getting involved right now. Legislative, I have a big mouth. So now I use my big mouth like, like John Lewis told me to, you know, (laughs) he said, no, we need your mouth. We need your mouth in Congress. We need your mouth in DC, your mouth. No. And so that's what I do. I use my mouth and the weapons to say what we need and what, what, what we're lacking, you know, encouraging people to vote, encouraging people to show up for a, a, to get bills passed in California, you know, uh, last year we got, because I know, uh, Gavin Newsom, because he was mayor first and then he became the governor. I said, I'm not, I'm gonna hold you even more accountable now because you, you are our governor. So he signed almost 25 or six of our bills for Brady last year. You know, mm-hmm. last year, uh, any youngster could go in the store and buy a gun without a, a background check or anything. Without his parents even knowing. And now that can't happen anymore. You gotta be oh, thank you, Jesus. Wow. That's right. Wow. You have to be twenty one years old to purchase a gun, just like you have to be twenty one years old to drink. And you will have a background check and it will be a ten day waiting period before to make sure you clear that background check. That didn't happen that wasn't before. And that and that that some of these uh Brady laws that we legislation that we're passing, we want it nationwide. It should be nationwide. You know, mm-hmm. that's why it's gang violence, because these kids can go out of Chicago and go to Jackson and buy all the guns they want and come back to Chicago and kill up everybody. You know, it's not the guns in Chicago. They can't get a gun in Chicago, but they can go to Jackson and get one. So we got to hold these straw with straw purchases. We got to hold these these gun dealerships accountable. We got to yep. make some loud noise against the NRA and their, and all what they're after. That's how we fight. We, we, can, we have to make some noise. We can't let Kamala... My good friend, Vice President Kamala Harris, she was the first district attorney to open up her doors to us mothers who lost our children to gun violence. She made sure there was a DA at every one of our healing circles. Do you hear me? She's mm-hmm. the one that opened up the, the, the doors for us. She's the one that we were able, that came to our meetings and hurt us mothers. And that's why I love her to this day. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and her, with her leadership in the White House and with a vice, a President Joe Biden who helped sign the original Brady bills with Severin Jim Brady. Oh God, we have the best people in the White House right now to support us. So now you can tell people that you can go on the Brady website, get this information, share it with your organization, get young people involved and in getting involved with Brady, get them involved with becoming on team enough, you know, the team enough leadership, which is young folks at Brady doing great things. Get folks mm-hmm. involved with Brady or get folks involved with the Brady campaign, Brady United Against Gun Violence, because you will become educated and knowledgeable. Get on those links, look at what they have to offer, 
hey, get in the trenches and learn all that you can because they're there to support victims of violence, victims of gun violence. Well, and we love you both so much and, and are so thankful for everything that you do. I actually, yeah. I actually, before we got on here, when when you first asked me about it, the last couple of days I've been praying and asking God, don't, don't, please don't let me have a meltdown on this podcast. <laughs> and it's okay if you do, you yeah. know, it's okay if you do. I've learned that it's okay. Some, I have my days, you know, and it's all right because yeah. those, those tears, they have to come forward. You know, I don't stop people from crying. I don't stop people from holding back their pain. You know, I'm just there to hug them and hold them and do what I can because I'm going to have my day and I need you to be there for me. You know, so yes, ma'am. we don't stop people from, from experiencing and, and breaking down when they need to. You know, I broke down in Congress when we were at the, you know, congressional hearing. You know, I broke down. I broke down when I was I was one of the 55 uh, electors chosen by Pelosi to give the, my uh, vote. For California, for, for right. both uh, Biden and, and Harris to win, that was a very emotional moment for me. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, mm-hmm. a black mother who lost a ton of gun violence, but then thinking about all the other people that went before me, John Lewis and others who died in this, you know, movement, you know, and passed the torch on to us to continue it. You know, so I right. just thank thank God that uh, I'm able to now take my pain and turn it into purpose you know that's going to help yep that's going to help save lives and hopefully help some young man to put that gun down you know you yep. know that's what's most you're right yeah well thank you all the biggest hugs possible through through zoom um <laughs> thank you kelly unbelievable butt time oh yay <laughs> it's time when i just abuse you for our listeners' enjoyment. Uh, well, so this week, we're talking about guns and government offices. Uh, not the first time. This has been an unbelievable butt, but hopefully the last. What could possibly go wrong? Uh-huh. Uh, so much, as it turns out. Uh, so a man in Humboldt County, California, was caught trying to bring a loaded gun with an additional loaded magazine into the county courthouse. So considering that we just experienced an attempted insurrection last month, that is pretty chilling. Yeah, he, according to the press, he was not there for insurrection, though. <laughs> he was just there to file paperwork. Okay. And he needed to bring a loaded gun with extra ammunition. I mean, I guess that's less chilling that he didn't intend anything nefarious per se, but I'm still pretty uncomfortable with it. Yeah, he, I think hearing the rest of the story isn't going to make you feel much better. So because security found the weapon inside the man's backpack when he put it through the courthouse x-ray machine. I mean, okay, so considering he put it through security, I guess he really did just forget because he was planning to insurrect i don't know what the right verb for that would be he probably wouldn't have done that but it's still ridiculous because as you know and we talked about i'm really uncomfortable with stories of people forgetting that they're carrying a lethal weapon because that's the sort of thing you should remember be aware of and take precautions about yeah see because i was looking at this as being like ah this is actually worse than him like trying to bring it in because he just forgot it but you're right it's good that he you know it's very clearly this was just a mistake but this is a really serious mistake you know, and because California does not allow for the carrying of firearms into government buildings, even if you have a concealed weapons permit, which he did, you're not allowed to do that. So he's he's permit has been suspended and he's been arrested. So and just going back to the California not allowing firearms in government buildings, I think the event that we saw in Virginia and Michigan and other places over the past months have shown um, that this is very wise policy. And I can't leave the capital out of that, obviously. <laughs> 
I'm so excited to start this week's news wrap up with some good news. So in Virginia, the General Assembly passed three common sense gun violence prevention bills, HB 2081 and HB 1992, which prohibit firearms at polling places and prohibit domestic abusers from possessing or purchasing a firearm for three years, respectively. All great stuff. And HB 2128 would increase the number of days that Virginia State Police have to complete a background check for gun sales. For more information on these bills, you can check out BradyUnited.org. And it's it's nice to see some forward momentum because I, I was shocked that it's been a year already, Kelly. I don't know about you, but it has been exactly one year since the killing of Ahmed Arbery. The 25-year-old was shot while he was jogging in a Georgia neighborhood on February 23rd in 2020. This killing of the young unarmed black man by two armed white men uh, claiming self-defense sparked national outrage that in, in many ways has continued on to today. Uh, the two men charged in the shooting are still awaiting trial on charges of murder and aggravated assault. Uh, and I mean, you're right. I, it, I can't believe it's been a year, but I can imagine for his family, they felt every single day of missing oh, and being without. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, we also have to mark that this week is the shooting death of uh, 17-year-old Trayvon Martin, who was shot and killed on February 26, 2012. Trayvon was walking home, ready to watch the NBA All-Star game. He had just picked up a bag of Skittles and a can of Arizona iced tea for his little brother from a local 7-Eleven when he was confronted by an adult male who was a self-appointed neighborhood watch volunteer. And the shooter contacted 911 and reported Trayvon as suspicious, but was told not to follow or confront the young man. Nevertheless, he did, and ultimately he shot and killed Trayvon, claiming self-defense. And this incident is just another example of an unarmed Black boy. And we should know that even if he was armed, he still not an excuse to kill him. Um, but anyway, an unarmed Black boy or young man being killed in claims of self-defense understand your ground type laws. And I know I can speak for both of us when I say we are sick of having to have these sorts of stories and sick of seeing people cut down just for running or going to 7-Eleven. So anyway, we just want to send our condolences to both of these families. Hey, want to share with the podcast? Listeners now get in touch with us here at Red, Blue, and Brady via phone or text message. Simply call or text us at 480-744-3452 with your thoughts, questions, concerns, ideas, whatever. Kelly and I are standing by. Thanks for listening. As always, Brady's life-saving work in Congress, the courts, and communities across the country is made possible thanks to you. For more information on Brady or how to get involved in the fight against gun violence, please like and subscribe to the podcast. Get in touch with us at BradyUnited.org or on social at BradyBuzz. Be brave and remember, take action, not tight.